welcome back. I'm Paul Unger, editor of Placetech. Uh, this week, we have a bit of a masterclass in comms from our friends at Social. We'll be exploring ESG from the perspective of good communications uh, with some explainers to uh, help you understand where tech fits into the landscape for ESG, how you can sell the benefits of what you're doing as a business, and generally understanding the broad landscape um, and how you as a business can position your own narrative in that. So welcome to Sarah Donnelly, Andy Cameron-Smith and Luke Cross from Social. Hi everyone. Hi Paul. Hi Paul. So um, Sarah, I'm going to start with you. Um, Tell us, given the the growth of the, the green tech sector, how can communications enable tech companies to compete? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, well, you touched on it then about the, the growth of the sector and, you know, the, the stats and the, the value of the, of the sector has, has massively grown um, in recent years, not least because it's on a lot of uh, businesses and a lot of government agendas uh, with the, um, you know, with the, with the timelines that we're working to as far as net zero goes. Uh, I'll let Andy talk more about that. I think from a comms perspective, it's critical that you get this right. You know, you, you have... Um, a limited window in which to make um, you know a good impression and build that reputation. When you're competing in a market that's um, you know that's maturing and that's getting um, huge visibility across the world, then um, you know you've got to understand your position in the market, where you fit, uh, you know what your narrative is, what are your values, and really understand your audiences. And I think communications is is a vital way to do that. Spend time understanding, you know, who is it you're trying to reach? Who are those sectors? Where can you engage with them? And you know, create the content and the uh, and the conversation that that really will um, stand you apart from your competitors. Okay, thank you. And um, Andy, from your your experience, um, tell us a bit about the the role and importance that um, can be placed on technology in the decarbonisation of our our property sector. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Um, technology has got a massive role to play, and it's existing technology and it's technology innovation. And those two dual kind of roles are all to make things more efficient and more cost effective. So if we look at property for, to start with, at both from a commercial and a domestic kind of level, the big challenge for decarbonisation in the UK is how we decarbonise the heat that goes into our buildings. So technology obviously has a role to play as part of the generation of energy, but it's also once it's into the building and the property, how it's used effectively and how technology has to be easy for the end user to use. As we go through a decarbonisation journey, we're going to be asking a lot of people to change their behaviour. So technology can play a key role in helping to facilitate that change in behaviour, but also make it something that people embrace rather than push against. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and Luke, what are you seeing um, in, in the the ESG, the sort of role that it plays in the sectors that, that you work across, please. Thanks, Paul. Um, so, yeah, so ESG, I mean, everyone's talking about it, aren't they? But it tends to mean different things to different people. Everyone's kind of got their own slightly different definition, I think, of what ESG is. 
I mean, the, the simple way that we talk about it is, you know, we see ESG as a reporting framework. Um, but if it's done well, it's more than a reporting tool. You know, it can drive behavioral change and cultural change. It can drive performance, you know, kind of tapping into that whole what gets measured gets managed type of ethos. You know, it can engage key stakeholders and it can certainly look to demonstrate risk management and maybe even the impact of an organization on the outside world. And that seems to be the the, the way that the, the, the debate and conversation around ESG is heading. But as I say, I mean, it really does depend uh, who, who you talk to as to what ESG means to, to your organization. Yeah, yeah. And, and Sarah, do you think that maybe comms has been part of, of, of the problem, that it's too big for people to get their heads around? It's not really been brought to life with, with specifics and those sort of authentic stories, that it's just too vast and, and abstract? And is there a way that business can maybe help counter that? Yeah, I mean, you, you could look at it that way. You could argue that, um, you know, it began life uh, perhaps as a bit as a, a bit of a buzzword and a box ticking exercise. And, and actually now um, it, it's become so broad, uh, you know, and it does involve so much. I mean, arguably, the work that Andy does in Net Zero crosses over into the work that Luke does um, across the ESG space. So I think, I think, um, you know, moving forward, and this is the, the almost the purpose of, of Andy and Luke's um, uh, divisions here at Social, is because it's so vast and because it can become such a complex um, journey and a complex communications um, uh, journey. You know, how do you consolidate that information and, and understand what it means for your business that that takes it beyond that box ticking exercise? Yeah, yeah. The, the, there was the interesting. Um latest comments from Stuart Kirk, the ex-HSBC guy. I don't know if people have been following him, quite controversial, um, that uh, he's talked about the problem of defining ESG, of whether it's an input to say, oh, we've considered it, which doesn't necessarily mean that you've made your building any greener. It's just that you've, you've thought of it through a filter. Um, or is it an output where you say, yes, we are going to set out to make a green building? Uh, do, do you think there's there's a problem, Luke, with the, the definitions? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, this is this has been a debate that's been raging, hasn't it, for, for years. And I think particularly as, as ESG has gone mainstream, there's just been this kind of enhanced confusion around what it's there to do, what it is, what it means to different people. And actually, the stuff that Stuart Kirk has come out with, I know he's grabbed lots of headlines and, and all the rest, and everyone's quite excited by it. it I mean, it's, it's quite obvious what he's saying. You know, it's, it's been part of the discussion for quite some time. I mean, in actual fact, it's probably even a bit more complicated than the, the, the two things that he's, that he's set out, um, albeit, you know, he's, he's set out in a very, very good way. He's a very good, 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 uh, good uh, communicator, isn't he, as, as a former journalist? So... Um, I mean, even, you know, absolutely, you know, agree the point, uh, agree with the point about kind of the inputs and the outputs, the kind of essentially risk of, you know, the outside world world to the organisation versus the impact of the organisation on the outside world. But I mean, in terms of the organisations we work with, I mean, it, there's, there's kind of six things that we that we're kind of coming across and the, the ESG discussion ends up covering. And that's that includes um, you know, impact seems to be what people are talking about quite a lot, but isn't traditionally what ESG really is about. Um, and where most people are is disclosure. Um, that helps with the second one, risk management. 
Um, and you know, that's where a lot of investors and funders are, are focused, the input point that you made, Paul. Um, from then on, um, you talk about things like value creation, you talk about performance, you talk about values alignment, and you talk about impact. And as I said at the start, I think really where you come at this from across maybe those six things, and that those are the six things that we've identified. I'm sure that you know there's probably there's probably more out there depending on people's interpretation. But um, really, what you should be measured against is where you're coming at it from in, in, in that context and actually how you're performing against one or all of those things because you know they, they do intersect as well yeah and andy how should property be be viewing net zero and, and what's the sort of difference between thinking about net zero and thinking about esg you can look at it two ways i think paul i think a lot of people put it in the bracket that it's a massive challenge to decarbonize property stock that we have but then it's also a massive economic opportunity that, that we face as a country as well so i think one thing I always try and talk to people about this is that when we talk about the net zero transition or decarbonising the economy, it's a transition for a reason, and we've got to make movements in the right kind of direction. And I think where that then intersects into the world of ESG is, as Luke kind of says there, it becomes a bit of a measure for people to look at what organisations are and what organisations are about. But I think people are looking a little bit for magic answers too soon. Um, when we do look at decarbonisation, it might surprise people that a lot of the technology, certainly to decarbonise our power grid, is already known. What the challenge is that we have, and, and property is within this, as is every other sector, is that we need decarbonisation solutions at scale because we've got so much to do. And I think that becomes the real scare factor for people when you sit down and you start to crunch some of the numbers that are involved it is a huge huge challenge but then it also provides you the flip side of the economic opportunity of creating a new greener economy to go alongside yeah yeah so if, if we drill down a little bit and um, sort of home in on a, a, a business say somebody is, is listening in from company that's trying to do the right thing they want to start talking about that saying we're changing uh, the, the real estate landscape for the better and, and use that as a marketing advantage um, what would be your advice or some of the things to, to to consider as they take practical steps to to shaping the message the campaign around that Sarah come to you with that yeah, I think it's it's really going back to what I said earlier, which is understanding your audience and thinking about the challenges um, and the pain points that that they've got to address in order to um, you know to, to meet uh, those problems. So you know if you're if you're a tech business targeting real estate, if you're a green tech business targeting real estate, what are the demands being placed on your potential customers? by the end user, for example, um, and working back from there. So what is it? You know, don't be focusing on, um, you know, the, the, the features of your, your product. Focus on the benefits of it and, and create your, your narrative and your key messages from that point. Um, work back from there would be my advice. Start with your audience. What are their challenges and pain points? And how does your solution address them? Yeah, from, from a communications point of view, it's everything's got to be authentic. You know, you are not going to have all of the solutions for the big challenges ahead. 
So be authentic about what it is that you are doing, what it is that you can deliver. Because also understand you're not the only person facing this challenge. And given what I just said about the scale of the challenge, there is going to need to be greater collaboration to deliver this. So when you take decarbonisation, there's no one technology, there's no one government, there's no one organisation can deliver it in isolation. Sectors can't deliver in isolation. This needs public and private sector to work together. So you need authenticity. You need to understand what clearly what is the role that you are playing in this transformation. And don't over-egg it because that's where you're in a bit of a communications minefield when you start to over-egg what it is that you're actually doing. And we've seen any number of brands fall into that trap over the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, over-promising. Luke, did you want to add on that? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, so, I mean, we're part of the problem, right? We, we work in PR, communications, marketing, and that's where a lot of the problems have come from uh, around confusion, around greenwashing, around, as Andy says, over-egging. And, you know, quite clearly we would say, and, you know, comms consultants or agencies with hopefully any kind of integrity would say, that it is all about credibility. So we're not, you know, we're not out there kind of spinning and selling stories. This is about, you know, help, as Andy says, helping organisations to approach this in an authentic way, promoting accountability, measurability, transparency, you know, organisations being open to challenge. Because, I mean, if you are serious about this stuff, about net zero, about ESG, about people and planet, if people want to put it in those kind of broad terms, then clearly you need to be talking about where you're making negative impact as much as the, the, the positive stuff. And that's, and if you're not, if you're trying to kind of impact wash that, then people just aren't going to believe what you're saying. Impact wash. That's, that's a new one, a new one on me to add to all the other washing. Um, <laughs> the washing and, line. Indeed. And um, so how important given the authenticity uh, proposition, how important is it to have a, a face to these messages is I, I sometimes think that tech generally, no matter what the cause or the area they're looking at, that, that tech is very hard to, to get across because it, you know, if you're talking about software, it's very faceless. It's, it's not the easiest thing to humanize and, and, and build a, uh, a sort of image around is, is, is that something that you would also promote of, of getting people to sort of own it from a personality point of view? Sarah, I'll come back to you. Yeah, I think um, absolutely is is my is my opinion. I think um, I'm currently working on a piece around authentic leadership, actually, and the role that um, leaders and spokespeople of businesses um, can play not only in their own brand but also the brand, you know, their brand, their business. And I think if you've got uh, if you've got an authentic message to put out, and you can put a face with that not only will that benefit the business um because people trust people people buy from people but it also gives that person that spokesperson credibility in themselves so that when they're going out to um you know to, to talk about what it is that they do or what it is that they're passionate about there's already existing authenticity and credibility because their face is known and it's been associated with those with those topics so yes i absolutely think that um that that's what should be you know should be done yeah i would i would add to that paul because it's something when i talk to my clients i always talk about humanize the proposition 
So when you're taking, obviously, technology, a lot of your messaging is around the technology benefit. But it's about humanising it and this whole field as well about the innovation that is happening because I do find people are passionate about what they do. And if you can get them right and their passion sells the actual technology, the benefit, that draws people in as well. I think sometimes organisations default to a hierarchy of who speaks and who communicates. And actually, good communication professionals should be finding the right people with the right passion to speak to the right audience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a lot to be said for that. And uh, Luke, what, what would be your the, the sort of building blocks that people should think about when they're, they're, they're trying to, to tackle reporting and, and build, you know, develop their narrative around ESG? What, what are the steps towards that? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question and one that we, yeah, we try to help organisations with um, quite quite a lot of the time. I think the first thing to say, because I think this has been quite interesting, you know, from a, from a sort of comms perspective, um, is that it's not led by comms. This, there, was a, there was a bit of an idea and, you know, some comments flying around last year, I think it was, that, you know, everyone was, was, get, was getting quite excited about ESG in the, in the PR world. And we're talking about ESG being, being led by PR and communications. So that's just, just simply not the case. So, you know, you, you've got to, within the organisation, there is that kind of piece of work to identify who are the, the sort of key stakeholders, who's going to be around the table. And, that, you know, that, at that point, you know, you're looking for that sort of diverse range of people that are really going to represent each part of the organisation, which feeds into the ESG, what, you know, what, 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 what kind of ESG covers so you know getting the right people you know into the room around the room getting the buying buy-in from the, the people at the top but also getting the engage engagement across the organization because if, if you don't have that then it's just going to be another thing that people people think is a kind of you know another thing to do which doesn't really mean anything so it's trying to get that engagement um with people across the organization um identifying i'm going to go on a bit now paul you've asked me this so i sort of identifying esg objectives and priorities I mean, actually, even before that, being really clear about what ESG means to your organisation, going back to that point about what are, what are we actually talking about here? Are we talking about disclosure and performance, essentially, or are we talking about outcomes and a way to show impact, which kind of takes into a slightly different area, technically, I suppose. But, you know, that's the sort of conversation that needs to happen internally. Um, and then, yeah, talking through the kind of process, really, of, you know, how are you going to collect data? Who's going to own it? Who's going to take responsibility? Uh, what's it going to be? Is it going to be an annual process, a quarterly process? You know, um, how are you going to structure, you know, the, the narrative and the reporting around it? Because the kind of message should probably come a bit later, really. That that all said, I mean, I you know, I, I absolutely think communications people need to be within the process. I just don't think they should be leading it. Yeah, there was a whole wave, wasn't there, of marketing directors becoming sustainability directors uh, a couple of years ago, and maybe it's still happening. Interesting, you mentioned uh, measurement there and, you know, the metrics and, and accurate data and who installs the sensors and who runs the building management system. It's, there's, there's, it's not quick and easy stuff, this. Mm. It's very complex. It can be very difficult. Yeah. Um, and one other thing I should mention, obviously, is, you know, is, is this point about framework as well. You know, 
with it being evidence-based, clearly you need to be attaching it to some sort of respectable framework or something that people can use and see as comparable. So and there's lots of, you know, the UNSDGs is obviously the starting point for most organisations, but within different sectors, there'll be different frameworks. And then beyond, you know, across the financial world, clearly there's a whole raft of them which are trying to be, you know, people are trying to amalgamate and condense and, and bring together at the moment. So, yeah, there's, there's choices there. Yeah. That's right. And we're not yet at a stage where we've got data standardization. Uh, there's a lot of property companies saying maybe it's an excuse, but they're saying uh, we're waiting to be told what to do and, and which yeah. the right framework to follow. Um, yeah. Sarah, I was, I was going to ask you on the the, the tech side, the companies that, that you come across, is, is measurement still one of the hot areas in terms of measuring the energy output of, of buildings? There's a lot of prop tech firms that say they can measure uh, the performance of buildings and you know the heating and, and so on it seems to be quite quite congested i don't know if you're still seeing startups there um, and what would be your advice to them for, for cutting through when it is quite a congested field for those sort of energy monitoring softwares I think I think really it's it's about how how you've moved or how those businesses have moved beyond that now. So it's yes, reporting and measurement is is important. Um, but but what else are you you offering? What's the bigger offer to businesses? Because I think businesses over the past few years have moved on now, and they're expecting more from the the technology uh, and the solutions that that they are choosing. This isn't about um, you know a, a quick and easy piece of software that can, can that can give me that element of the answer um, this is about what more can it do and I think what a lot of tech um, certainly what, what I've seen is a lot more tech um, businesses are looking at their bigger offer and for you know longevity what what else you know looking at the future and, and uh, as far as innovation goes this might solve this this problem now but, but what does my solution need to solve in the future and seeing that bigger picture and you know seeing what what, what more value add they can they can bring to a business and I think that kind of understanding the landscape beyond the now, thinking about you know what more are these uh, buildings, uh, facilities managers going to need in the future, um, and trying to devise um, you know your your solution, your offer that will will marry that journey and scale with that journey as it as it goes. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. And Andy, just um, before we wrap up, we've heard a lot about the sort of tech, the energy at scale. Um, how important is um, behaviour change as well in the whole sort of decarbonisation of the economy and, and the journey to net zero? I think, put simply, Paul, if we don't have behaviour change, we won't deliver net zero. And that's not to put all the emphasis back on the individual, but it, I, I kind of talk about there's certain pillars that have to be delivered to do decarbonisation. The first one is technology and innovation, which we've talked about. The second one is infrastructure. We need to redevelop our energy infrastructure in the UK. We've got an energy system which works, but it was built for a different time. The grid needs to adapt to take on the new sources of renewable energy that are coming on there. And then the third part is the behaviour change. And if the behaviour change doesn't happen, it can put a blocker on both the technology and innovation and the infrastructure change that happens. So I think behaviour change is critical to what we do. I think we need to look at a really big education program, communications wise, on what we actually mean. Too much of the decarbonisation debate is 
forgive the subject matter we're talking about is too technical or it's too economical. We've got to talk to people that actually, this is, fundamentally, at the end of the day, this is about improving people's lives. You know, trying to get to different ways where, you know, we, we have a planet which is habitable for everybody that, you know, is is not subject to adverse weather patterns that, that you know, turning on the news today and all of Cuba's power's gone because of the latest hurricane that, that, that is coming. These these things are happening and we have to adapt. But I think there is a role and that behaviour change and that comes from organisational change and individual change. And I too often you hear people say, well, if I change, it doesn't make much difference. But I think it's a different mindset that if we all start doing small changes, they soon add up and that becomes big change at the end. You can't mandate it. You've got to take people on the journey with you. And that's where I do believe good communications has a role to play. And that's why I go back to the authenticity. Let's be upfront. Let's be honest with people. This will involve change. It changes how you live in your home, how you commute to work, what you might be eating. But if we're up front, I think people are willing to adapt. Some people will argue, but, you know, as we went through COVID, we can see how people's behaviours change when certain matters are put in front of them. So we need to look at the climate change to decarbonisation through a similar kind of lens and we need to engage people and engage them in the change. Yeah, yeah. such an important point that you make about education and nudging people, getting the right messages that, that trigger a response. Um, and it's so important that we, uh, that we do this and, and we all take responsibility, whether we're a business leader, a politician or just an individual consumer and householder. Um, it, it needs everything at, at every scale. Um, that's fantastic. Well, this story will run and run, as they say, and uh, maybe we'll get you back in a, a few months' time. It'd be good to, to see how, how things have evolved and um, how uh, comms and the, the narrative has maybe changed for businesses um, looking to sell into real estate, but also working in, in real estate as well. Um, so... Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Andy, for joining us from social, uh, from a, across the group there on Net Zero, ESG and tech. Um, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks, everyone.